You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 49. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to a special Thanksgiving edition of The Lively Show. Thank you guys so much for being with me today and this week, if you're actually listening to this as it goes live, right before Thanksgiving. Just so you guys know, this is the only show that will air this week, and it's one of those long-form guest episodes that we usually air on Thursdays happening on this Tuesday. So you have it to listen as you're traveling through this holiday, if you're going to your family's home or to somewhere else in your area for Thanksgiving or worldwide. It's just a special week for you guys. (laughs) You're going to get the Thursday edition a little bit early. Before I get started, I have an exciting announcement. Life with Intention Online, my flagship class where I help people transform their approach to life to be more peaceful, powerful, and present is starting in 2015 once again. I've made some exciting updates to the class. The first round was awesome, and it was a really, really special experience to go through with all of those students and now to take this material that's helped them and bring some coaching into it is very, very exciting. I'll be sharing more information about the class and actually offering a little pre-sale holiday rate starting next week. I'll give you guys more information next week about that, but the actual launch won't actually begin until January. However, I know that there are people that are looking to perhaps get this for the holidays or to gift it for the holidays. So I've decided to do this little pre-sale special holiday rate, the lowest rate that it will be offered next week. So stay tuned. And if you're really interested in getting more information and special bonuses that only the insider list gets, and this stuff is actually stuff, guys. We actually send you things that are really exciting. So for more information about those special bonuses and more information, sign up at lifewithintentiononline.com. And now for today's episode. Today I'm talking with Courtney Carver of bemorewithless.com. Those of you who have listened to Caroline Rector's unfancy interview about the capsule wardrobe, you may remember Courtney's name because Courtney was pivotal in helping Caroline become more minimalist and approach her closet in a more intentional way. In today's episode, I've actually asked Courtney herself to come on the show. Courtney is an amazing human being in every way, and you will find out exactly how awesome she is and how much advice she has to give, I really wanted to get her take on how to experience the holidays in a more meaningful and intentional way. So we will discuss Courtney's MS diagnosis and how that's changed her life forever and started a series of massive changes in her life, one small step at a time. And we're also going to talk about her approach to the holidays and how simplifying and really becoming intentional in the holidays has brought her way less stress and increased her joy tremendously. We're going to talk with Courtney about how we can deal with our holiday decorations and traditions and keep the ones we want and ditch the ones we don't. We're going to discuss how to decline holiday events that are not meaningful to us, which is always kind of a tricky thing. We're going to discuss Courtney's advice for gift giving and receiving and that dreaded, what do you do if you don't like what you get? Do you have to keep it? Do you get to re-gift it? How do you actually navigate the whole thing of, I got a present that I'm not really crazy about. What do I do? Courtney's gonna give us some great advice there. And in addition, she's gonna give us 
a really great insight on the importance of putting ourselves first, especially during this busy holiday season that can be very, very taxing on ourselves. Why it's extremely important that we put ourselves first so that we have more to give. Let's go to the show. Thank you so much, Courtney, for coming on the show and sharing with us. Well, thanks for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here. Caroline Rector from Unfancy had mentioned you in her episode, which led me to you. So thank you so much for sharing everything, especially with your minimalist movement and the Project 333, which I think is what partially inspired Caroline herself with her wardrobe. Yes. And I listened to that interview. It was great. Caroline's story is so interesting and I love her take on minimalist fashion. So thanks to her and thanks again to you. Yeah. So let's get started with your background. Tell us how you got to where you are now. Sure. Well, that could be the entire interview. (laughs) So I'll try (laughs) to keep it short. I started uh, simplifying my life in 2006 without really having a name for it or even the intention of simplifying my life. I was working in the advertising industry and was really a go, go, go type person. And more is better was sort of my mantra. I was just always in search of the next best thing. And how can I keep elevating myself and my family and my job and my work? And I was just really caught up in that cycle. And I got sick in 2006. I was diagnosed with MS after about three months of extreme fatigue and vertigo. Ironically, while training for an MS fundraiser. Oh my God. It's the weirdest thing. The person that I worked for at the time had MS and I was training for a cycling event in Salt Lake City where I live to raise money for MS research on behalf of my employer. I had had symptoms in the past, uh, but I ignored them and wrote them off to stress and busyness. Uh, You know, of course I don't feel well, I'm working all the time, or of course I don't feel well, I'm volunteering and running my daughter around, and why should I feel well? I didn't expect to, which I realize now was really a disservice to myself. But once I um, had this MS diagnosis and had a little time to be really afraid of it and absorb it, and come to terms with it, I did a lot of research. And one thing that I found out was that stress is a huge part of the course of MS or really any disease. And so I set out to do whatever I could to eliminate stress from my life. For people like myself who aren't very familiar with MS, we've heard about it. We may have even heard about the training you're talking about, but we might not know about, is it a disease? Like, Can you tell us a little bit about MS so we know? A little bit more? Of course. MS or multiple sclerosis is an autoimmune condition, a neurological condition. The easiest way that I can describe it is, you know, in your your brain, you have all of these nerves and on your nerves, you have a coating called myelin. And it's just like an electrical cord that has that coating on the outside to protect the wire or the nerve. With MS, your cells don't know what to do. So they eat the myelin or the coating on the nerve or the electrical wire. And it leaves exposed nerve that never fully heals. And instead, scars come and cover it. And that sort of makes your your nerve short circuit. 
and send weird messages to different parts of your body. The weird thing is that it looks different in every person. So for some people, depending on where that demyelination is happening, it might affect your walking or it might affect vision or cognitive thinking. So it really impacts people in a different way. And it can be what they call relapsing remitting, where you have a relapse of symptoms and then things sort of get better for a while. Or it can be very progressive, where it's just one thing after another and a steady decline. Luckily, there are great treatments. And it's becoming more and more apparent that lifestyle changes uh, make a big difference. So you're in this phase where you are training for something that now you're diagnosed with. How did you handle or what was that like to go through that? It was really scary to start because I didn't know what was going on. And it never crossed my mind that that's what it was. I mean, I thought at first it might be jet lag because I had been doing a little bit of traveling. I thought that it was an ear infection. I mean, I really thought it was anything but MS. It just never occurred to me that that would happen. So it was really unexpected. Again, very scary because my only picture of MS was my employer at the time who had been in a wheelchair for close to 30 years. And I didn't know anything else about the disease. So I only knew just enough to be really, really scared. How did you process it? Well, at first, I I just talked to a lot of people. You know, it's sort of in my nature to work things out by talking about it. I talked with friends and family and sort of told them what I was going through and talked to my employer and his wife and was just very open about what I was going through, which I think was very helpful. And then the next thing that I did was just get really proactive about healing and instead of sort of going in the other direction of I don't know what's going to happen and feeling really depressed about that I just started connecting with people that were living well with MS and learning about how I might live well with MS myself and is that what brought you to minimalism at first it really is and again I I didn't have a name for it I didn't know that's what I was doing but I started by simplifying my diet. You know, I looked at what has the biggest impact on our bodies and our health. And diet was the thing that really kept coming up as being really important. And I just looked at how I might reduce stress in my diet. And for me, that included eliminating animal meat and most animal products. And it's different for everyone. This definitely isn't advice. I think everyone sort of has to find their own course. But for me, that made the most sense, especially after reading The China Study, which is a great book that talks not only about autoimmune conditions, but cancer and other diseases and how diet affects the course of disease. And did you see that eating as part of a minimalist movement or was that just the first thing that you did? Yeah, I didn't at all. It never occurred to me that it had anything to do with what might come next. So it was just a way for me to start taking action. And then how did the minimalism become a part of your life? Well, this is the interesting part. So each small change that I made led to the next. And so once having MS became the new normal, 
changing my diet became the new normal. And I got very comfortable with that. Then I went to the next thing, you know, what's the next thing that's really causing stress in my life? At the time, it was debt and spending. My husband and I started talking about possibly eliminating our debt, which to me, that never crossed my mind. I just always thought I would live in this work, spend, oh, cycle. And I just remember from the time I was 18, owing somebody something, whether that be credit cards or car loans or student loans, it was just part of life or that's what I thought. So did you get rid of all debt? What debt did you have at the time? Oh, I had all the debt. (laughs) (laughs) All the things. (laughs) All the things and all the debt. Yes. I was really good at buying things and thinking that I deserved them. I was just really good at it. <laughs> you were really good. You had a, you had a talent. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just had always had this feeling that I worked so hard that I deserved nice things. And so I had regular major credit cards. I had store credit cards uh, because I wanted to get the points to get the things to feel better about all the work that I was doing. I think that a lot of us have been in that place before or maybe are still in that place. It didn't feel wrong or bad at the time. It just felt like the thing to do. And in addition to that, car loans, uh, student loans that I felt like I had been paying forever. But again, just part of it. And at the time, I had started listening to the Dave Ramsey show. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but... He's a a radio host that gives financial advice, and it's just really super sound, basic advice. Actually, we have a guy on the show, Eric Williams. He was episode number two or three, actually, and he actually did the Dave Ramsey approach and got rid of $40,000 in debt. So anyone that's interested in a little bit more about the Dave Ramsey approach could totally go back to that episode. I'll put it in the show notes for anyone listening. It's a great program, and... I think the thing, I didn't even know that there was a program to begin with. I just really enjoyed hearing stories of other people that were paying down their debt or asking questions. I just really related to a lot of what they were going through. And I thought, wow, if they can do it, maybe I can do it as well. Even then, though, I didn't think that I would ever be completely debt free. But since then, and I mean, it's been many, many years, we started, you know, with the smallest credit card debt. Once we had that all paid off, we went to the bigger things like the car loans by, oh, I'm going to get the date wrong. But I think by 2010, we had everything paid off besides our house. You know, we had a a home mortgage and about a year and a half ago, we sold the house. And so now we, we are completely debt free, which is just, it's amazing. It's amazing. That's incredible. And that's since 2006. So you're actually in a pretty small time frame when you look at it from a bigger vantage point, right? It probably didn't feel like immediate, but eight years, it seems like, right? Yeah. And we didn't even really start the debt-free stuff in 2006. It was probably a couple years later that we really got serious about it. How do you live without the debt for your home now? So you sold your house, but how does that work now? Part of our simplicity journey, you know, and again, as I mentioned, we've kind of gone in steps. So we went diet, debt, clutter, and, you know, the debt, clutter, shopping kind of all fed each other. And then 
obligations, commitments, work. And finally, it was our house. And we were living in a 2,000 square foot home, big yard, a storage shed on the property, garage with more storage. And we had been simplifying for many years. And we actually had empty rooms in the house. And we realized that we were spending, even though I know real estate can be a great investment and it can be very nice to own your own home. It can also be really expensive. And when we looked at the money and time that we were investing in the home, whether it be replacing a fence or shoveling the driveway or raking leaves all weekend, we realized that wasn't what we wanted. And so we sold the house and now we rent a 750 square foot apartment with no storage. Wow. And how many children do you have at this point? So I have one daughter. Right now, she is moved out. She's living in Australia. That's why I went to visit recently. She moved with us. It was her senior year in high school that we moved into the apartment. How has your daughter adjusted to all of these changes you guys have made over the years? She's been great, actually. At first, I think it was sort of a, a, an unwelcome surprise when we started talking about spending less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not what her friends or peers probably are having in their lives. So it's probably a shift that may not be easy to take when you're around your friends and it's so important to fit in. Well, she was really young when we started. So she was probably 12 or 13 when we really got serious about spending less and talking about the things that we own and why we own them and what's important and what's not important and really changing our mindset. So I'm sure in some ways it was a little confusing, but we did it in such a, a slow way that I don't think it was a big deal in terms of you know how her friends were or how she interacted with her peers. And I really made it a point to sort of let her do her own thing. So as I was decluttering the house, I wasn't decluttering her room. I felt like that needed to be her choice. I just sort of led by example. The same thing with my husband. You know, I sort of spearheaded the movement and I was way more excited about it than everybody else in the family. <laughs> and I know my husband would come home thinking, you know, what's gone now? What's missing or <laughs> what's happening? But I just always assured him that his stuff was his stuff and he could do with it what he wanted. I think that's really important for anyone that's trying to make a change that has other people, especially in the context of the stuff we have in our homes, that when you live with other people, you have to, I guess you're, what you're saying is you need to respect what they're willing to do and let them do what they need for themselves and just kind of look at your own sphere of influence being you, not your family or your daughter or your husband. Yes, you have to start with you because I had plenty of stuff that I didn't need to look at anyone else for a long time. But you, you have to, you can't really force this. So I think, and this question comes up quite a bit, you know, how can I make my husband or how can I make my wife or how can I make my kids see that, you know, living with less is better. You can't make them, you can't force them. What I like to tell people is the best way to help people see the joy in less is to live joyfully with less. That has worked very well for me and for many other people as well. I think if you can just focus on your own stuff to start, you know, be open when people are ready to make the transition or the change and just not get too caught up on the pace. Tell us about the difference between your life before and how you are now and not necessarily from the sphere of the stuff, 
but from your internal life, what's different? Everything is different. Everything about my life is different compared to what it was like in 2006. In 2006, I was always, let me preface this by saying that I was a pretty happy person then and very grateful for the things that were in my life, but I didn't have the time, space, or bandwidth, I guess, to pay attention to what was most important in my life. Work was always really important and being the best at work was super important to me. And so I dedicated a lot of time to doing that. I also did that out of fear of not having enough money. So I was, I think, afraid quite a bit. I was really uncomfortable with uncertainty. I wanted to know exactly what was going to happen and how it was happening. And I thought I controlled the world or at least my world. Exactly. That's the ego's favorite thing is trying to control uncertainty and it can't let go. Exactly. And if I wasn't in control, then I felt like everything was falling apart. I'm sure that that control aspect bled into my relationships as well. Fast forward to today, that fear is really gone. I think some of it is, you know, because of the changes that we made externally. So getting rid of the debt, I don't have that fear of not being able to make a payment because I don't really have any payments. But instead, I have time to thoughtfully respond rather than live in this reactionary lifestyle, which is where I was before. You know, everything was just react, react, react. And now I can step back, have space to breathe, time to respond. And it makes me much happier much, much healthier. And I think I'm probably nicer to be around. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. So let's take this approach and actually look at the holidays because I wanted to have you on specifically to touch on how to approach the holidays with this minimalist, thoughtful mindset. So one of the things when I shared this with you is that you said this is one of the most sensitive parts of being a minimalist. Can you explain first why it's one of the most sensitive parts? I believe that thinking about holidays in general, whether it be Christmas, birthdays, I mean, whatever that is, through the lens of simplicity or minimalism, is we get really nervous that things are going to change too much and we want to protect our traditions and what we know, and the way we think we enjoy the holidays. I know that when I started simplifying and getting rid of stuff, I always thought, well, Christmas doesn't count. I'm just not going to do it for Christmas because I'd like to go overboard for Christmas and for the holidays and for birthdays. What I didn't realize is that in doing that, I was discounting all of the things that were really important to me about the holidays. So while I was out shopping shopping, 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 wrapping, baking, eating, you know, doing everything in excess. You know, it seems like November and December were permission for me just to go completely overboard in all directions. But then I'd come out of it in January in this haze saying what happened. And I missed some of the most meaningful parts of the holidays. And so when I started to apply minimalism to the holidays, you know, instead of getting rid of things, I turned my focus to things that were most important to me or the things that brought me the most joy during the holidays and thought, how can I divert more attention and energy towards those things? Then slowly the other things sort of 
dropped off. I'd like to say that less is not nothing. And this whole minimalism simplicity game looks different for everyone. So what might work for me might be completely different for someone else, especially as you're just getting started. I think the slower you can transition into it, the better and the more long lasting the changes will be. Can we walk through the practical steps that you took? Like what things did you let go of and what things did you include more of when you made those switches in the holidays so that we can get some ideas and inspiration for people that are listening? Of course. Well, let's start with something like decorating for the holidays. That's something that's on my mind right now. (laughs) Yeah, I love to decorate for the holidays. I like to make my home feel festive. However, I had been collecting those things that make my home look festive for decades. And I wanted them all to be out. And I remember every Christmas, you know, we'd go into the the storage area or the garage and just bring in stacks of Rubbermaid containers (laughs) (laughs) full of lights and ornaments and decorations. And, And it just went on and on. And the house would be so cluttered with it that we couldn't even really appreciate the few pieces that really meant something. Maybe some of those things meant something at one time or another, but I I think that we all have a few certain pieces over the holidays that really bring back a certain memory or, you know, someone special gave that to us or something that just, they really stand apart. However, we dilute that when we try to display everything. The first year that I decided that I was going to get simple with this. I did it on the back end. So I decorated with all the things. And then as I was cleaning up, I started putting things aside that I would donate, that I wouldn't store for the next year. That really helped me because I didn't have to make those decisions going into the holidays. I didn't want really that pressure of having to make those decisions when you're sort of in this emotional time. I think the holidays bring up a lot of emotions. And so when you're talking about getting rid of things, it can just add to that and maybe not in a positive way. And so I decided I would do it on the other side and I would pay attention during the season to what really brought joy to our home or to me or to our family. And I would hold on to those things and then I would let the rest go. I love that. I think that's such an easy way for people to not feel like they're getting it torn away from them too soon, that they get to enjoy it and they get to see how much they're really enjoying it throughout the rest of this holiday. And then in January, when that time of refreshing and and rebooting actually feels good, let it go then. I think that's a really brilliant idea. One idea I used to do, I wrote about this in my blog a few years back, is that what do I not want for Christmas? Before Christmas, I would go through my home and find all the things I would not have asked for for Christmas and donated those things or passed them on to someone else that could use them so that I created extra space that when any new things did come in my life through the holidays, it wasn't like there was a surplus. I'd already created the room for those things to come into my life, which is another way that people can also start to think proactively now outside of their holiday goods in particular. That's so smart. It's such a great idea. I love that. You know, this idea that you just mentioned and talking about simplifying after the holidays versus before, it's really just that shift in mindset and being open to looking around and saying, what is important to me here? What about things like 
holiday parties and commitments, especially when you have multiple kids. I think that there are a lot of listeners that have that scenario where there's just they're getting pulled in a lot of directions on their schedule. How can you apply this approach to your calendar? I think you have to get comfortable saying no, thank you. Even though we all want to please everyone, we just can't or or we can't do it and enjoy the things that we really want to enjoy. And I think it's okay to to be a little selfish or to feel a little selfish um, when in reality it's not selfish to say no to someone if you're really not interested. In fact, I think saying yes and going out of obligation doesn't really benefit you or the host or hostess because you you know you really don't want to be there and they're spending tremendous resources to make that event happen. Uh, and I know that's a specific situation, you know, a, a private party, for instance. But I think maybe looking ahead, so now would be the perfect time to be looking ahead towards the holidays and the, the four weeks in December that seem to just evaporate. <laughs> they really do, because all of a sudden you're getting swamped with invitations or you've got your your children's school events, plus your neighborhood events, plus other community events, it's just too much. And so you have to be intentional about choosing one, two, or three things that you're going to do. And then saying, you know, let's have a few nights in for just the family. I think we all really treasure those quiet moments or those more intimate moments with our families, but we don't claim them because we don't want to let other people down. But I think if we start doing that, then other people around you see you doing that and they take action from your example and then it's okay. I mean, I don't remember anyone ever being mad at me in the past few years for not attending an event. So now let's look at the gift giving. So how do you approach gift giving and how do you approach receiving gifts? Because I imagine that's also kind of this dance between the person you're giving the gift to or the person you're receiving the gift to and not wanting to hurt their feelings or their expectations that they have for themselves. So how do you approach the gifts? Gifts, I would say, are the most sensitive topic of the entire holiday because some people demonstrate their love by giving gifts. And so when you refuse that, you to them are refusing love. And it's really as simple as that. As harsh as that sounds, I think that is really how some of us share how we feel. And so we have to be sensitive when we approach the topic. I think there are a few great ways to do this. One is to have thoughtful conversations individually with family members and ask them if it's okay if if we don't exchange gifts. For instance, my sister and I had this conversation a few years ago, and now we give a gift to each other's children. So I give a gift to my niece and nephew, but not to my sister and brother-in-law anymore and vice versa. My sister buys a gift for my daughter, but not for myself or my husband. And we're happy with that arrangement. Other family members aren't open to that or they're not excited about it. And so we exchange gifts It's okay, I think, to give and to receive. And I think the most important thing that we can do, especially when we might not want more stuff, but we know the gifts are coming, is to, and I I learned this advice from Joshua Becker from the blog Becoming Minimalist. He and I had a conversation about this, and he said, accept the gift with the intention that it was given. 
for me, that meant, you know, I'm not getting stuff, I'm getting love, or I'm getting peace or whatever I feel like this person is meaning to give me, I'm going to accept it for that. But do you keep the thing, especially when it's not even something you like, and it's not even about being minimalist or not, but you just don't even like the thing? What do you do? So I was gonna, I was gonna follow up with it's not your responsibility to keep the thing. Some people feel obligated to keep it. Some people don't. And that is a little bit of a dance. And, you know, maybe it is something that you can find a use for. But if not, I think it's okay to pass it on. Because in 99% of cases, people barely remember what they gave you for Christmas last year. So it's not that people are tracking your every move and wondering, you know, what are you doing with my whatever that they gave you, my vase, my candle, (laughs) whatever it is. I think that we just have to be sensitive and thoughtful and, and not try to push what we want on other people. The other thing we have to do is once we've had that conversation and agreed that, yes, they are still going to give you a gift, if they ask you what you want, tell them. You know, so often we say, oh, nothing. I don't need anything. But you know, then they're going to give you something that you definitely don't need or want. It's okay to say, you know, I'd really like us to go to the movies together. Why don't you get us movie tickets? Or I really need this X, Y, Z in the kitchen. Don't be afraid to give people suggestions. I think they appreciate that. And again, this is after that conversation of maybe let's not exchange gifts or let's all go to dinner. And they're like, um, no. (laughs) You're like, well, then I want this blender. (laughs) Yes, that's okay. Again, I think experiences are probably the best gift to give. So if there's a way that you can move people towards let's share a great dinner together, or, you know, let's do a weekend getaway. You know, those are our experiences and, and memories that you create that will last far longer than anything in your home. I love that idea of the weekend getaway and that you're doing it perhaps with that couple or friend and that that's the gift. I think that's really special. And when you think about what you're spending on gifts already, I think it's probably not even that much more of a leap. Yeah. So what about when you don't want to give someone a gift because of your budget? For example, when you were getting rid of all of your debt, how did you do the dance around that? Well, we just, we just cut back. I mean, we just reduced, uh, and what we were giving and, and really it helped that we weren't giving to as many people. And then we could focus on, on better quality gifts for the people that we were giving to, or that we had planned on giving to, but we just really, cut back on the the quantity of people that we were giving to just by having those conversations. That's awesome. So what else have you changed from your old ways of the holidays to now? Oh, so we definitely do the gifts different. We decorate less, but again, it's, it's more meaningful decorating, I think for me. And I have cut way back on giving myself permission to just completely indulge in everything like everything, sugar, (laughs) for instance, (laughs) cookies. I try to bake and then give the cookies away because I love to bake, but I also really love to eat cookies. So I try to to give them away really quickly. (laughs) And just remembering that this isn't the only time of year to experience joy. That's really helped me not feel like I have to get it, cram it all in, in one month, which is what I did before. I mean, there's no reason I can't bake in March why was I trying to do it all in one month? 
So just lightening up on myself a little bit and giving myself permission to be joyful during other times of the year takes that pressure off from trying to experience it all now. And then I also look at, at really simple things that make me happy or make my family happy. So for instance, walking around the city and looking at lights with my husband is just an awesome experience. I didn't have time for that before. Where were you spending the time before? Oh, well, before I would either be working or going to parties or handling everyone else's joy and happiness, I guess. What does that mean, handling other people's joy and happiness? I want to be careful here because I don't want to sound like I don't want to contribute to other people's joy and happiness. I do, but I guess not at the expense of the time and space I have for my family. And so if I put, this is really hard to say, when I put myself first, which used to be super uncomfortable for me, but when I put myself first, I have so much more to give everyone else. And so if I decline an invitation to a party and instead take a walk around the city and look at lights with my husband and come home and have a glass of wine and go to bed early, then the next day I have so much more to give to everyone around me. So I think that I was misguided before in how I thought I was giving. I was giving all that I had without refueling or ever fueling. And so I was depleted all the time. Absolutely. Do you think your medical diagnosis has even given you obviously that extra oomph to go forward with that and really own it because it medically is impacting your life so deeply as well? 100%. Yeah. I mean, that it's weird. I feel like MS was a huge blessing in my life. That's what I was wondering. I wasn't going to ask it yet, but I was wondering, is this because obviously all of these amazing things have happened in your life from that diagnosis. It's been a huge blessing because it immediately gave me permission to take care of myself from the littlest things to taking a nap in the afternoon if I want. You know, I used to think that that would be absolutely ridiculous <laughs> to have a nap during the day. And so it gave me permission to focus on what I was eating, how I was exercising, how I was taking care of myself. And I hadn't done that before. You know, it was always everyone else first. And I think a lot of us are like that, especially women. And we feel like it's a necessity. But what I discovered is that when I started being selfish and taking care of myself first, I could better take care of everyone else. Basically, what you're saying is that anyone that has some kind of disease or illness that comes upon them is kind of possibly pushing themselves too far. And this disease is actually bringing that to the forefront and making this an important thing for them. But I wonder, and I have no idea, obviously, there's genetics and a disease is a huge topic that I know nothing really in any formal way about. But I wonder from a spiritual or life lessons perspective, if we don't learn to take care of ourselves first, the disease will make it a requirement. Do you think that that's at all true? Or what is your perspective from someone who's had a diagnosis that's very serious? Well, let me start by saying that for MS specifically, there is no known cause or cure. And so I would never say that stress and busyness caused my MS. Oh, yeah. And I'm not thinking that. I'm just thinking from a life perspective that if we're not taking care of ourselves, our health is eroding in some way. And then it, what happens is then, then our lives are making us <laughs> take that time 
because we didn't prioritize it ourselves. Absolutely. And, and what I was going to say is, while there isn't a known cause, I'm convinced that my lifestyle then didn't resonate with me. It didn't resonate with my brain or my body, but I put up with it for a long time. And finally, my body said no more. So yeah, I do think that. I think that if we don't take steps to take care of ourselves, then we'll take steps <laughs> deep, deeper inside. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not saying anyone got sick for some reason, but no, I just no. wonder on the life lessons spectrum, <laughs> if we don't take care of ourselves, life will make sure that we have to. And if it needs to be exactly. a crisis, then it will be a crisis. <laughs> and it's that message again, you know, you're not in control. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> You don't run things here. So that was a big eye opener for me. But I hope that by sharing this story, then other people can catch that before because MS wasn't my first wake up call. I was just too stubborn to hear them before. And so if you think about all the times you get a migraine or a headache or the flu or a cold or you're tired and stressed, all of those things that happen, I think, are your body's way of saying, doing too much. Yeah. And if you don't do it, then it will take steps in order to make you do it. Oprah always talks about it. It's like it first comes as a tap. It's a little nudge. And then eventually, if you keep ignoring it, the brick will fly at you. And eventually the whole wall will fall down if you keep ignoring what the wisdom is. And I can say from someone that doesn't have a serious diagnosis in any way. The other day, actually, I had this feeling. It was last Tuesday where I just had this innate feeling that I needed to take the day off. And I'd been working very hard for many months. And I kept saying I needed time off after that. But then there was always new projects coming up. So I wasn't taking the time off. And eventually this Tuesday happened. And I got my podcast up for the day. And I had planned, you know, have a full day charging ahead from that moment forward. And I just had this feeling of just calm down, just slow down, take the time that you need, just take the day off there was a lot of guilt associated initially with that, even though I heard it very clearly within myself that I just needed to rest and to just absorb for myself. It was hard to do because I wasn't physically sick and I wasn't seriously ill. So there was a lot of overcoming in my mental sphere in order to actually take that time. I wonder what would have happened if I kept continually ignoring that voice. It's just really hard when you're not, you don't have an illness to point to or just a sickness even to point to for that time off. But just when your body tells you, it's really hard. Yeah. Why is it that hard? Because if you think back, at least if I think back to all the times that I have listened to that, that feeling or that voice and done the right thing, even if it meant taking a day off, nothing bad ever came from that. So I don't know why we don't listen to that more. I think it takes practice. I really do. I think it's it's like any habit that you have to to keep practicing it and just know that it's benefiting you and everyone around you. Yeah. So I know that you've had the MS. So in a way, for people that don't have the serious thing, they can say, absolutely, she needs to do this or she's going to have these very serious consequences. What would you tell that person that's struggling to listen to their own internal dialogue and take that time for themselves? Well, I'd give them that advice right back. You have to do this or you will have very serious consequences. And again, it may look different for them, but how it manifests, it can't be in a positive way if you are really overdoing it. And I'm not talking about once in a while you have a really busy day or busy week, but when you notice and 
if you just stop for a minute and look back on the past two weeks or two months or two years, you know the answer. You know, if you have been running yourself ragged, it's time to stop. It's time to reassess and it's time for big changes without a big diagnosis. Let's do it before that. That's amazing. So what would you say their first step should be? Because you obviously went to health, well, specifically to food. Is that the first place you would suggest for other people to go? That would be my first suggestion. I mean, I think it has the biggest impact on our bodies, you know, what we eat. Then again, it is different for everyone. So I think the first step is really that assessment of taking a good look back and maybe writing a few pages about how you're feeling now, because we all have this running dialogue going on in our head and things that we're thinking about. I have found that once I put it on paper, it really becomes real. And so if I'm in my head complaining about how busy I am, I'm just running through the day. But if I write my complaints on paper about how busy I am and how that makes me feel and who I'm neglecting and what I'm neglecting, then I can see on paper that it's time for a change. And that makes a big difference for me, just that small difference of thinking it and reading it. I think maybe the first step isn't diet, but the first step is taking a look at the last two weeks, two months, two years, and writing about it. How do you feel? Are you happy with your life? Are you joyful on a daily basis? Do you feel connected in your relationships? Are you happy with your work? Do you feel healthy? Are you sleeping well? You know, all these questions that we would ask a good friend if we thought they were having trouble. We have to treat ourselves as well as we would treat our best friend. I love that. So what doubts or resistance have you had to face in your life internally? The biggest thing for me in terms of doubt and resistance, especially when making all these changes to live with less, is that I always thought that more is better. And I wanted to always be better and be making myself be better. And for me, that equaled more money, more stuff, more activity. Uh, I thought that that really kept me in the game. It kept me relevant. It kept me loved, appreciated. And I was always afraid that I just wouldn't be able to, or if I did nothing, then I wouldn't be appreciated or maybe even loved. And that is always something that I struggled with. But the more quiet I get and the less that I do, the more I feel like I can shine on my own without any external anything. I love that. So can I ask a question? How do you approach the abundance mentality as a minimalist? Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah. So when you were sharing about this more is more, right? What that made me think about is living with abundance. That's a common, especially in the spiritual world, phrase that's shared many, many times about the abundance we can have in our lives and having overflowing blessings or whatever, whether that's physical stuff, accomplishments or whatever, that abundance kind of feels, at least in my head, the way people seem to be using it a lot of times and not all times, is that it kind of, your head easily goes to more is more in this abundance idea. So I guess it's similar to the more is more idea for you that you had to go through. How do you interact with the word abundance right now? with everything you've learned? I've redefined it, or I guess I've 
put it towards different categories. So abundance to me used to mean lots of stuff, lots of things, lots of money. What I didn't realize is all of those lots of was compromising where I wanted and desired the true abundance. So what I really wanted was love, more love, more joy, more creativity, more time. And until I could really ask for those things, I tried to get that abundance through the easy stuff because it's way easier to go buy it than to try to dream it up or create it or be in it. I think that the abundance mentality, we just all need to shift to what we or not be afraid to ask for what we really want and not be afraid to receive it and not be afraid to think we deserve it. I love that. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. So what would you tell someone who's just starting out on this journey? I would tell them to number one, start small and don't think you have to make these changes overnight. And I think that can be a real challenge, especially where there is so much advice out there and so many blogs about people that have radically simplified their lives. Some of those people, including myself, took six, seven, eight years to get there and just start with the tiniest thing, the smallest step, and let that step provide momentum and motivation for the next step. And really, before you know it, all of those next steps lead to major transformation. That is so well said. Thank you so much, Courtney, for coming on the show and sharing so openly about your life, your challenges, and how we can all approach the holidays in a more minimally and intentional way. Well, thanks for giving me the opportunity to share. And there you have it. Thank you so much, Courtney, for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom with us and sharing your story. And thank you for listening. If you would like to send Courtney a message, you can hop over to Twitter. Her handle is at be more with less. And as always, thank you so much for leaving reviews on iTunes. It means so much to me. We've just hit over 200 star reviews, and I'm hoping that one day we'll actually get over 200 written reviews as well. If you have a second and you want to show your thanks for the show, it would mean so much to me this Thanksgiving week to see and read those reviews on iTunes. You can hop over through the gold button on this show notes. And if you would like to actually check out the show notes in general for this episode, you can go over to jesslively.com slash Courtney Carver. Thank you guys so much. And again, like I mentioned, Life with Intention Online details will be released next week. May something wonderful happen to you today.